may be the only guy at your office that is pacing. I'm not saying you're not working hard. I'm saying you're pacing because you can't spend it all there because if you do, you can't do the job that you have to do when you get home. If you've got kids or you've got grandkids, you just can't clam up every night. There gonna be some nights you're, you're wasted. You know, on the weekends, I'm out doing conferences. When I come home and walk in the door, Mary says to me, how did it go? I say, fine. She says, good. That's pretty much it. And she's okay with that because I'm pretty, I mean, I've been talking for 30 hours straight. And she knows that's pretty much my quotient. So I'm going to go in there and watch Sports Center or whatever's on, uh, some, anything mindless. I'm probably going to watch for a while because I can't really go beyond that level. I got to recharge a little bit. She understands that. Now, by the next day, I'll say, gosh, you know, we really had a great time there in Colorado, and I met some guys, and I'll start telling her about it. I'm out of gas. You see? That's what, you're going to be out of gas at times. But you've got to learn, you learn to pace because someone's got to instruct. This is just basic stuff of life that kids are supposed to get from their fathers, but if fathers clam up, they're not going to get it. See, it's our job to communicate. It's our job to teach. So what do you do? Are you a CPA? Are you a welder? Are you a broker? What do you do? Well, see, what you really do is you're a teacher. Every guy in this room. If you've got children, if you've got grandchildren, you're a teacher. What are you teaching? Well, that's why we're studying Proverbs. So the first do not is, keep. it's relating to people. How do you deal, how do you deal with people financially? If you've got it, you give it. Same principle is in the next do not. It just has a little different nuance. Verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Flip over to uh, 1 Timothy 6.18, and you'll get the nuance of what's being said here from a New Testament perspective. It's very similar to the first one, but... but See, see, the first one, he's dealing with dishonesty. In this one, he's dealing with a cover for selfishness. Um, 1 Timothy 6. I'm still breaking in this new Bible here. Here we go. Let's pick it up at 17, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now catch this. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, or quick to share. Um, that's the idea. If you go back to 28, don't say to your neighbor, go and come back. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. See, what, is, what does Paul say to Timothy? Be quick to share. Be ready to share. This is, a, uh, th this is a method that we use to hold people at arm's length. It's a cover. It's, it's a cover that is socially, quote unquote, correct, that enables you to be selfish. That's what he's dealing with here. Um, see, the reverse of this, the reverse of this, instead of selfish, 
you're generous. Um, instead of hoarding, you give freely. That's a principle that has to be taught to kids. This guy I mentioned I was talking to recently, he was in his mid-40s, who was telling me that his dad really wasn't involved in his life. He, he said, you know, I heard you say in one of those Proverbs study that you should teach your sons. One of the things you teach your sons is the basic principle. You know, you give 10%, you save 10%. I mean, if you do nothing else, if you just do that and you live off the rest. He said, I never heard that in my life. He said, that's, that's incredible. And he said, basically, I'm in my mid-40s and I'm broken. I'm starting over. But I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm saving 10%. And, no, I'm giving 10%. And because I'm so far behind, I'm going to try and save 20%. I said, man, that's great. Way to go. Now, now make sure you don't forget to give, though. You've got to give. Don't get so focused on the saving. See? Because the greatest financial principle in history, and Charles Schwab did not come up with this. Jesus came up with this. It's give, and it shall be given unto you. If, if you don't impart anything else to your son, if you don't impart anything else, to your grandson. Teach them that principle. And while you're teaching it, do it. There's a novel idea. You see? Actually practice it. And then when they ask you about that, well, has, show me, what's that been like? What's that been like in your life, Dad? Grandpa, what? What's that been like? Have you ever seen that? Give and it shall be given unto you? Well, if you have followed that in your life, you're going to be able to pull out illustrations and stories out of your own experience which will teach them the faithfulness of God to honor his word, you see. We had a great time last week out there. Uh, Mary went with me and our son Josh went out for a couple days and... and uh, and John's girlfriend went out, and she was there. We were just having, man, we were having a blast. And, uh, and I, I think I spoke 97 times in five days. It, it, was, it was pretty intense. Um, it was a lot of fun, but it was intense. And then in between, you know, people, hey, is there any way we could get together and we could have, you know, and, and we had some friends that were coming to have dinner with us. And, and there was this one guy who's a student there. And... He's a great kid. I met him six years ago, last time I was there. And he has had some cancer issues, I believe brain cancer, which kind of put him back a little bit in his learning abilities. And it's taken him a long time to get through that school. But he's worked real hard. And, um, and when they called me and asked me to come, the chaplain, Ron Hafer, said, basically, this guy, this student, comes into my office about once a week and says, when are you going to have Steve Farrar come back? And he just drives this guy nuts. They really didn't want me to speak. He just wanted this kid to leave him alone. <laughs> and, and he's a great kid. Um, well, he wanted, as soon as I was there, he wanted to know if I could have dinner with him. Well, we had all this stuff lined up. And then I found out he was engaged. And he, he, not only did he, he wanted me to, this was going to be a big-time counseling deal. And, and I, I got, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I started looking for a way I could not meet with him. 
because I had, but he was so persistent. He kept boxing me in. And, uh, and I really couldn't come up with a good answer. And I finally agreed to meet with him and his fiancee for about an hour and a half. And you know what? They ministered to me. What I saw going on in their lives, it was precious. Um, I, I learned some good things from them, you see. And, and, and I, I'm just being honest with you. I was kind of trying to hold them at arm's length. Now, you can't get with everybody. All the, You just can't do it. It's impossible. You know that. But I'm really glad I got with them. And I said all the right things, and I said all the nice things. And I've had, I've had guys in here say, can we get together? And, and I haven't been able to get together with you. Um, there's a fine line there, you know, because we have to live our lives under the Lord. But what he's teaching his son here, guys, is is the idea of do not get selfish, be generous. That's the idea. Don't let selfishness take over your life. There's a third do not, okay? We're back in Proverbs. Verse 29. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Um, uh, what, what this is basically saying is, is, is don't start a fight. Don't be contentious. Don't be difficult. Don't, uh, don't make an issue out of things that are not issues. Um, you know what I've been, as I've been looking at this, you know what I've been thinking about? Is this whole political campaign. You start reading Proverbs through the grid and applying political campaigns and things that are said through this, gets real interesting, doesn't it? Um, I've been told that if you walk into Dan Rather's office in New York City at CBS, he has this amazing office that overlooks the newsroom. And as you enter the newsroom, there is an, uh, a beautiful oak podium with a large King James Bible that is open. That's the first thing you see when you walk in to the entrance. I think Dan Rather needs to read that Bible. <laughs> I do. I think he needs to read this verse. That's just my personal opinion. I need to read that verse. You need to read that verse. He needs to read the verse. Because we're seeing things going on here and you're saying you're showing your cards politically. You already know my cards. But you, you guys hear what I'm saying? I mean, there is stuff that is being said and stuff that is... Look at the next do not. Look at the next one. In verse um, 30, do not contend with a man without cause. If he has done you, no harm. See, when, when you want to win, and you'll win at any cost, you'll do anything, you'll say anything, you'll conjure up anything, well, that runs against the Scriptures. Uh, verse 31, do not envy a man of violence. I saw on the news today that someone tried to run down Catherine Harris last night. Is it Catherine Harris or Kathleen Harris? Catherine? She, you know, she was the gal, the Secretary of State in Florida when they had all the, uh, when they had all the hanging chads. Yeah, and she had the gall to actually follow the law. Did you know that she went to Labrie Institute and studied under Francis Schaeffer? 
Did you know that? Yeah. She's a committed biblical Christian. And she's tried to uphold the law, and gosh, they just ripped her to shreds. And some guy tried to run over her last night. He's, and he said, and they arrested him, he said, I was just trying to intimidate her. Well, yeah, you drive your Chevy Impala at me, you're going to intimidate me, pal. But you see, that's a man of violence. When I was walking out of the house tonight, Mary said, can I show you a verse? Because she was watching the news. She said, can I show you a great verse? I said, yeah. She said, I read it this morning. It's Psalm 5. Can I show you a great verse? Flip over to Psalm 5. Because it ties in perfectly with this. Psalm 5, verse 4. And my heading in the New American Standard Bible up top says, Prayer for protection from the wicked. A Psalm of David. He says in verse 4, You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Look at verse 8. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes, because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. Verse 12. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. See, what uh, Solomon is instructing back in Proverbs 3, he's instructing his son, don't live like the guy in Psalm 5 who was an enemy of my father. When when someone, when, when you're walking with Christ and you love Christ and you belong to Christ, and someone comes after you, and someone is trying to rip your reputation, and someone is talking behind your back, and someone is slandering you, and they're doing whatever they can do to bring you down, they are not just taking you on. Quite frankly, they're taking your Heavenly Father on. And he is an enemy of those who do such things. So he's instructing his son, don't act like that. Do not, do not, do not, because that is not how we live. Verse uh, 31 says, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. Turn over to Psalm 73, would you please? The question is, why would he say don't envy a man of violence? Now, we looked at Psalm 73 a couple weeks ago, but I want to go back to it. Psalm 73 is a key psalm in the book of Psalms. Because here's a guy that's walking with the Lord, and he describes in verse 2 his situation. He says, as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Why would Solomon instruct his son, do not envy the man of violence? Because oftentimes it is the man of violence who apparently has everything that he needs in life. The man who is set against God, it seems as though his life is good, his life is prosperous, everything this guy touches turns to gold, 
That's why you'd envy him, because everything he's going, is going his way. He's like King Midas. Everything he touches turns to gold. Um, see, this was his problem. I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You ever wonder why these guys that are so against God have so much in this world? Remember one of the old Puritans said that one of the reasons the wicked have so much in this world is that they will have nothing in the, in the world to come. And you see, they will never be able to say, as they are separated from God, that God has not been good to them because God was unbelievably good to them. He was unbelievably gracious to them. Did they thank him for what he had done? No. No, they rejected him. Uh, look at verse 5. He says, They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them I look at these violent men that are living contrary to God these guys are violent they're liars they're cheaters they will do anything they'll destroy somebody's reputation they don't care <clears throat> and I'd like to take off on something here but I'm holding my tongue I've enjoyed teaching here it's been a good run might as well go out in a blaze of glory, huh? Does it, ever, did it, does it ever astonish you the length that some people will go to when they attain political power to destroy other people? I mean, they run over them. They destroy them. They, and and you, you already know who I'm talking about. You've seen it. And, and it's more than one. You, you, I mean, the longer you live, the more you see them. They are people of violence. They, are, uh, assass they will assassinate people's character, if not their physical lives. You see? Yet they're so prosperous. And you see that and you go, why is everything going their way? Why? You see, this guy was having a hard time. Look at verse 12 of 73. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came to the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. This is a great lesson to teach to your sons. Because they're going to see it. They're going to see people that are living in rebellion to the Lord and you might as well prepare them. You know, good coaches prepare their teams for situations before the situation ever occurs. Is that not a good coach? Good coaches think of all the possibilities, and then they prepare their players. They, they prepare you. If you're, if you're a defensive end or an outside linebacker, if you have a good coach, he will prepare you in advance how to handle a reverse, won't he? You see, the play is going to the other side. Well, one of the things they teach you on defense, they teach you to pursue, to pursue. You want to swarm. You want to hit that ball carry. You don't want one guy. You want eight guys hitting that ball carry. But you see, you also have to be aware, and they'll teach you 
you don't always pursue because if you're a defensive end or outside linebacker, you got to stay at home. You ever heard that term? You ever use that? You got to stay at home. You're a defensive end. Everybody else can pursue, but you got to stay at home because of that sweep, that sweep going around left end, if he hands that off to that flanker and everybody's going that way, you're going to watch that guy because you're not at home. But see, everybody can pursue and you're this defensive end. So, you know, you're hitting this guy and you're kind of, but you go about four yards and you're just containing. You're staying home because if he hands off to that guy and he's coming that way, you're, you're the only defense we've got. You see, he prepares the player for the situation before it ever arises. And they drill it into him. It becomes second nature. And everything in him wants to go. Everything within him wants to pursue. But you can't. You can't because you're on a team. That's coaching and that's fathering. <clears throat> so you teach this stuff in advance. And when do you teach it? Do you get up at 4.30 and have a Bible study with all, you know, four of your kids every morning, Tuesday at 4.30? Probably not. That's probably not how you do it. And it's not how you're told to do it. You're told to do it as you go through life with them, as you walk through life. You're always looking for teachable moments. That's what good fathering is. You just got your radar up. You got your antenna. You're, all, you're, just, you're just aware when those teachable moments come, you know, boom, you just take them. You just talk to them. You just talk. You, you just communicate. And you interact. See, when a guy's passive, he's missing an incredible opportunity. You can't be passive. You got to initiate. I mean, you're not passive in any other area of your life. You're not passive at work, or you're not going to get anywhere at work. You know, you weren't passive in school, you're not passive. But see, isn't it funny? We let it, it's like we're going to just let down. Our culture is in trouble because men have stopped leading and men have stopped initiating and men have stopped taking responsibility for the family. I think I said this in here a few weeks ago. Up until about the 1860s, all of the parenting books were written to fathers. They weren't written to mothers. They were written to the fathers because the fathers understood that they were head of the home. We got five do nots. These are the rules. Son, don't, 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 don't. Now, the last thing he says Back in, you guys still there? Are you? You're still thinking about that reverse, aren't you? Some of you guys pursued and the guy scored on you. It was very embarrassing. Um, if you go back to Proverbs 3, the last do not, he says, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. You say, well, Steve, I don't, I don't you know, go into bars and get in fights all the time. Well, good. That's great. Way to go, man. But, you know, there are other ways to be violent. You can be emotionally violent. You know, a lot of Christian guys give themselves permission to be emotionally violent. And, uh, you know, you'd never yell and scream at church, but you'll yell and scream at home. And, uh, you know, um, that gets old. That's not the way you lead. You don't need to yell, and you don't need to scream. And, uh, I mean, who needs that? So you do that, and you know what? All your kids are thinking is, I can't wait to get out of this house. And, and quite frankly, when they get married and they get uh, kids of their own, you know what they're going to dread? They're going to dread the holidays, and they're going to dread your showing up at their house. 
Is that how you want your kids to feel about you? I know, I know, I know of some situations where, where there are families and the patriarch of the family is a well-known Christian leader and his children dread his coming. They want everybody else, they want him coming. Isn't that, is that not sad? Is that, I, and the people that know this guy in ministry, I mean, they'd be shocked. They'd be stunned. But he's such a great guy. See, he's such a great guy with him. He's a pain in the butt at home. That is, isn't that sad? Is that not tragic? That's not how you want to live. See, you can, I mean, this guy would never hit his wife, but he'll just rip her to shreds emotionally. You know. You know when a guy is like that with his daughters? You know what's really interesting? When, when a, if you marry a woman who comes from a background where there's a father who's emotionally abusive, that's going to affect your relationship. Because she's bringing all this stuff, pain, hurt, open wounds, that he caused, and now you're going to have to deal with it. And some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. That affects your sexual relationship. There are, there are women who cannot reach orgasm because the guy back there just woke up. <laughs> Glad to have you with us. <clears throat> Thought I'd get his attention there. But this is true. There are women who cannot experience orgasm in marriage, not because of their husband, but because of the emotional stuff they're still carrying from years of emotional abuse with a father. How many of you guys have daughters at home? You see your hands. Okay. How do you treat a daughter? In that question answer period out there at Viola last week, I had a, a college girl ask me. She said, You've talked about fathers and sons. What does the Bible say about fathers and daughters? How are fathers supposed to treat their daughters? I said, I, don't, I can't see one verse in the scripture that specifically says how a father is to treat a daughter. But here's how I view it. Most daughters are going to grow up and become wives. So it seems to me, if that's true, then the verses that tell a husband how to relate to his wife, those principles should apply to how you relate to your daughter, since she'll be a wife one day. Does that make sense? I always worried about Rachel. She's my oldest. We've got Rachel, John, and Josh. I was worried about how good of a father I was to her. And I had a conversation with her about that. I'd say, Rachel, you know what? I'm worried that I'm not doing a good job for you. Because, you know, I mean, I know the boy. I know what it is to be a boy. I mean, I jumped out of 40-foot oak trees, you know. Um, I've done that stuff. I mean, I know what boys go through. I know what it is to be a boy. But you know what? I don't know what it is to be a girl. And so sometimes I'm worried that I'm missing something. So, so let me ask you something. How am I doing? She said, oh, Daddy, you're doing fine. I said, I, I know. Oh, but where am I screwing up? She says, Dad, I hate it when you yell. What are you talking about? 
boy, she nailed me. She said, Dad, I just hate that when you, when you yell. I said, okay. Well, let me, let me work on that. And I started working on it. Because it really bothered. See, that's where I learned that. See, I didn't have any sisters. I just had brothers. We just knocked the tar out of each other. We had a great time. But we grew up with the emotional sensitivity of a John Deere tractor. <laughs> Girls are different than boys, right? So they're, they're, they're different. They're, see, I can clue into my boys, but what about this little girl? See, now there's the challenge for me, a father. So what do I need? I need wisdom. <coughs> I need to, so see, I don't want to be violent in my home. I'm not going to knock anybody around, you see? And if some of you guys do that, you know what you need to do? You need to come to somebody here that you can trust and say, you know what? I got a problem with that, and I need some help. The reason you do it is that your dad did it. I've never seen a case where that hasn't been the case. If you saw that model, that's why you do it. You need to break that chain. But you need to go to someone, go to one of the pastors, and say, listen, I got this problem, and I need some help. And you know, you'll get some help. And God bless you for having the courage to want to deal with that. That takes a man to do that. That takes a lot of courage. And sure, you're ashamed, and sure, you're embarrassed. But you know what? Uh, you can't live the Christian life by yourself. You need some brothers. James says, pray for one another. Confess your sin one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, don't envy a man of violence. And then he gives four reasons why you don't do this. So here's what I want you to know. You can be a man of violence and not slap women around, okay? You can be a man of violence and not be a biker, you know, out there getting arrested every weekend. Note the four things he says to his son right after he says, don't be a man of violence. You guys still there? Okay. Don't envy a man of violence. Don't choose any of his ways. Four. You see how it's connected? Four, here's number one. The devious are an abomination to the Lord. But he is intimate with the upright. Those who are abominations to the Lord, he rejects and he is not close to. But on the other hand, so you got a contrast. He's going to start pulling contrast here in each verse. And you're going to get four of them. What, what you're going to do here, if he's going to show you the curses that come upon those who follow the way of violence as opposed to the blessings that come upon those who reject the violent way. So you're going to get four curses. And let me give them to you. There's one in each verse. The first, first, the first curse is, don't choose his way. Four, number one, the devious are an abomination to the Lord. Then go to verse 33. The curse of the, how, the, curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. Verse 34, though he scoffs at the scoffers, who's that? That's the Lord. He'll scoff at those people. He'll mock those people. Then verse 35, but fools display dishonor. There are four reasons you don't want to envy a man of violence. Even though everything seems to be going good in their life, there are going to be four consequences that are negative. But then there are four blessings that God brings into their lives. The first one is verse 32. If you reject the man of violence and don't choose his ways, you will be intimate with the upright. God will be intimate with you. He will walk with you. He, teach, he will teach you. He will favor you. He will prosper you. He will give you his peace. He will make your life pleasant. Even if you don't live in Pleasanton, he will make your life pleasant. 
because you're intimate with him. I'm driving over here, and my cell phone rings, and it's John out in California. And John works from 2 to 6 at a health food store that nobody goes into. And, and, and so he just does homework and writes papers. And, you know, all he needs to do is sit there, and just he works the register. But there's not a lot of action. I was there a couple hours with him last week. Not a lot of action going on there. So I'm driving over, and he says, he said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm going over to Stonebriar. He said, how far away are you? I said, well, I get about 10, 15 minutes. He said, I'm reading this book by Alistair Begg. I said, yeah, he's good. He said, he's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I said, yeah. He said, Dad, how does the Holy Spirit lead you? He said, what do you feel? And uh, I said, well, I usually don't feel. It's not, it is, it's not a feeling, it's, it's a leading. And, you know, he kind of directs. And uh, so we just started talking about this. We just started, you, you want to know, how do, how do you do this? I mean, you know, this Holy Spirit stuff. I mean, you know, and, and that, what does that mean? What does that look like? You walk around, get all these goose pimples all day long and get these, you know. No, I mean, I don't. And, uh, and I said, you know, a lot of it's just staying in the scriptures. And, you know, he, he reveals the truth to us. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, J.I. Packer says, is like a, if you're driving down the freeway at night and you see a sign on the tollway, well, there's a floodlight that enables you to see the sign. But you don't drive down the tollway and say, oh, look at that floodlight. You don't even think of the floodlight. See, the floodlight puts the light on the sign. The Holy Spirit always puts the light on Jesus. When people are always talking about the Holy Spirit, I get nervous. Because Jesus said, when he comes, he shall glorify me. See, if people only talk about the Holy Spirit, you got a problem. Because the job of the Holy Spirit, and the way you know the Holy Spirit is there, they're talking about Jesus. They're focusing. The Holy Spirit is the light. He said, don't look, look at Jesus. Focus on Jesus. When he comes, he shall glorify me. So I said, you know, that's what he does. And you read this. I said, you know, a couple of years ago, John, when you quit eating junk food and you started working out and eating healthy, and he eats, I mean, he's unbelievable how he eats. He said, yeah. I said, and, and you know, you just started feeling better. And, and, you know, your body's doing better. And, you know, and he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, well, that's what it is when you start getting into the Bible. You know, you're, you're eating the word of God. You're eating vegetables now and all. You don't eat, you know, M&Ms and all that stuff and french fries. You quit that. And it's made a difference. And you're not even aware half the time of what's going on. But when you get in the scriptures, you see, that's what's happening in your life. You're feeding on the word of God. And as you're in the scriptures, by the fact you're in the scriptures, you're rejecting certain things as you go through life. You're already saying no to things because the spirit of God is influencing you through the word of God. And it's not that you're feeling anything. You're, he's navigating you. That makes sense? Sure it does. How did I get into that? It's in here somewhere. There's a connection somewhere, but I don't remember what it is. Oh, he's intimate with the upright. That's how you get intimate. He was saying, how do you walk by the Spirit? How do you get intimate with him? Well, that's how you do it. You're not devious. Are you devious? See, the guy who is devious withholds good from those to whom it is due. That's being devious. That's being selfish. That's being dishonest. If you owe the guy money, write the sucker a check. Don't hold on to it for 10 days. That's wrong. 
I got to finish up here. Look at verse 33. The curse of the, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. I tell you, I do not want that in my life. I do not want the curse of God on my house. I want the next verse. But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Man, that's what I want. That's what you want. There's nothing better. There's nothing better when you're doing well with your wife. Is there? There's nothing better than when you're doing well with your kids. Is there? I, you know, I had a great time with John last week. We just had a great time. I mean, it was really good. And we had some great talks. And he was, uh, we, we were talking in the car. He was dropping me off at the hotel. And he was talking about, he said, you know, Dad, he said, I used to want to be, you know, I wanted to be well-known. I wanted to be in the spotlight and all that. And I go, yeah. And he said, but, you know, I think that, that's a curse. And I go, yeah. And I said, yeah, I, I think it is a curse. And uh, he said, yeah, but when you're a kid, you think that'd be the greatest thing in the world. And I said, yeah. He said, you know, but... I remember reading where Joe Montana took his wife and kids to Disneyland and they had to leave after 20 minutes. I said, yeah, wouldn't that be terrible? He goes, you know, it would. But when you're a kid, you think that's the greatest thing in the world. You know? He said, everyone wants to be famous. I said, yeah, you know, everyone wants to be Barry Sanders. Everybody wants to be Emmett. But, you know, somebody's got to be an offensive tackle. And you know, in a sense, the offensive tackles, they got the best of both worlds. They get to play the game, and they're well paid, and they do their job, and they do it well. They don't get a lot of uh, press, but within themselves, they know they're doing the job, if they're doing it. See, most of us are offensive tackles, aren't we? Most of us aren't quarterbacks. Most of us aren't all pro running. We're just offensive tackles and centers and snappers. That's what we do. A lot of us are special team guys because we're not fast enough. You know? But that's not a bad life. That's a pretty good life. And see, you convey that to your son. Because he's probably thinking the greatest thing in the world is to be a superstar. You know, son, that's a curse. That's a tough way to go through life. See, once again, you talk about life. I, I got to move here. See, I want the blessing of the Lord on my house. What's the next one? Though he scoffs at the scoffers. I, I love Psalm 2. I won't read it. But all these people devising all these things against God, you know. All right. Uh, I was reading this week where Anthony Lewis, who's a liberal columnist for the New York Times, I was reading something else that probably 60 to 70% of the editors of the New York Times uh, according to the National Review, are homosexuals now. So that publication is seriously skewed. But Anthony Lewis, his wife, is the Chief Justice of the Massachusetts Supreme Court. Now, isn't that comfy cozy? And they were just writing about the fact that this appears to have been an agenda item to get this homosexual marriage thing on the blocks. And we read this stuff, and it upsets us and all that. But you read Psalm 2, and you know what it says? It says, the Lord laughs at him. He just laughs. He little piddling nothings. He laughs from heaven. He's 
running the show. He's in charge. And he gives grace to the afflicted. Are you weak? Oh, you're in a great place. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. The guy in Psalm 73 was struggling until he went into the sanctuary and he saw their end. You know what, guys? In the scope, hey, there was a time when you didn't exist, right? Chris, how old are you? 35. 35. 36 years ago, you didn't even exist, did you? Do you exist because you chose to exist? No. You really had no say in the matter. You just kind of showed up because he called you into existence. Now, here's what's interesting. There was a time when you did not exist, but, for, but from here on out, you will exist forever. Every guy in this room, you will exist. For, you will never cease to exist. Never. You will always be. So you line that up with... 70, 75, 80 years on this earth and you're having some tough time but you know Christ and you're walking with him, you know what? That's not even half a breath for what you're going to inherit. You're going to inherit his honor. He said to Samuel, those who honor me, them will I honor. So let's keep being those offensive tackles. We don't need the spotlight. Let's just keep walking with him. Let's keep loving our wives. Let's keep teaching our kids. And he'll bless our lives. Does that sound good, guys? Doggone it, I'm for it. If you vote for that, stand up. <laughs> yeah, let's do an Iowa caucus here. Let's stand and we'll pray, all right? Lord, thank you. Lord, thanks for our lot in life. Your lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, the uh, psalmist says. There, there's always someone who's doing better, and there's always someone who has more stuff. And uh, there's always someone who has more money, and there's always someone who's you know, well-known, and all that stuff. We just thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, that we'd be here on a Wednesday night, that you've created within us a desire to know your book. And we want to know the book because we want to know you. Thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to live well and to live wisely. Now, we've all, in this room, we've all made mistakes. Gosh, we've made a ton of them. But, Lord, uh, you know, Paul said it best, forgetting what lies behind, I press on, I press forward. I keep moving. I don't get weighed down with my past because you've set me free from my past. You, you've got good things in store for every guy in this room that will walk with you. Lord, spread us out this week across this metroplex like salt. Put us where you want us to be. Uh, help us to be straight shooters. Help us to be honest. Help us, Lord, even at times to be willing to be taken advantage of. If we're going to err, may we err on that side. Give us a sensitivity to you as we read your word. Give us perspective later this week when we start getting down and we start getting upset. Give us perspective. Smooth us out. Help us to remember 
Proverbs 3. We want to walk with you, and we want your favor upon our homes more than anything else. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.